We're in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day in Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, friends. Father, it is so good to be in your presence and to worship. Thank you for the gift, Lord, that lifts us up and fixes our eyes on Jesus and there reminds us that no matter what we are walking through in this life, a better life is still to come. We were made for a better world. We were made for a better ending and that ending is guaranteed because of our Jesus. And so, Lord, we say no to fear. In Jesus' name. We say no to control in Jesus' name. We say no, Lord, to manipulation in Jesus' name. We say no to numbing our own hearts in Jesus' name. And instead, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come in the name of Jesus and to do the thing you've promised to do in our hearts, which is to shape us in the image of our Maker to make us more whole than we've ever been before and to even use the suffering we're experiencing to do so. Thank you that not one ounce of it is wasted. So come show your face, Lord. Pour your heart out into ours and transform us with your love this day. We are nothing without you, but with you, with you, Lord, we are exactly who we are created to be. Yours, made whole, Raised up, beloved, would we taste and see that today and believe it more than we ever have before? We submit to you, Lord Jesus, and we trust you in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So question as we begin, what fruit do these seeds grow Wow, not even a hesitation, that is correct, apples. Next question, how about these seeds? Oh, you guys are really good at this game. Okay, pumpkins, this one's gonna be a little harder. How about these seeds? Oh, wow, you guys were doing so great, so great. Tomatoes. You knew, didn't you? Yeah, I see it. I see it. Okay, next, last one. You got to think hard on this one, okay? What did these seeds grow? 
Correct, they grow sons. That is correct. <laughs> Sunflowers grow sons, right? No, of course they don't grow sons. We all know that to be true, but the craziest part of life in this world is so often we think that the things that we sow aren't going to reap what is actually sown. We think we can sow seeds in our lives and in our world that are going to produce a different kind of fruit, particular seeds for particular fruit. So, for instance, the fruit of laziness is not going to grow. I mean, excuse me, the seed of laziness is not going to grow the fruit of achievement, is it? It's just not, right? Similarly, I'm not going to go through this whole list, but when you sow seeds of doubt, it's not going to grow the fruit of trust in you. We know this, it's not, this is not rocket science, right? Like this is pretty easy stuff. We get this in our lives, but do we? The question that we're gonna wrestle with this morning is what seeds have you been planting in your life? And the key is in the fruit. So can I just say on the front end, guys, we are all mixed bags. A lot of us have good fruit we can point to and a lot of us have bad fruit we can point to. And it's a mixed bag. And I think for some of us, we tend to just look at the good fruit and justify the bad. And if you're in that camp, can I challenge you to give thanks for what is good and to turn your attention to what is not, that today you would leave with a bigger harvest of what is good. There are others in this room and online who struggle on the other end of the spectrum. Who, when, we, when you look at the mixed bag, you just look at the bad fruit and you pay no attention to the good. Can I challenge you this morning to start looking at the good fruit and start giving thanks? You need no further encouragement to look at the bad. I know you're already doing it. I want you to look at the bad in light of the good and to see that the liar who wants you to believe you're all bad, is called a liar by God for a reason. We are all mixed bags. But we have to look at the fruit. And in order to get to the bottom of it, we gotta look at the seeds that we've been planting. You following? Okay, this is where we're going this morning as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts. And I want to give you a little bit of a, of a review for those of you who are new, who haven't been around for a while, who maybe uh, slept for the past couple sermons. If you were at the uh, talent show, you know what I'm talking about. I am watching. Okay. Um, Acts chapters 1 through 15. In fact, the whole book of Acts is really about the birth of the church. But chapters 1 through 15, as we've been studying it, show us a lot about what it means to be on mission. And not just any mission, but Jesus' mission to listen to this, do what Jesus did. Right? It's not that we, he wants us to hang on a physical tree and die a death for the entire world. No, that's once for all. That's Jesus doing the work of the Messiah. But because Jesus did the work of the Messiah, he now gives us his Holy Spirit, which is the same spirit by which he did the work of the Messiah, so that we could then walk out into this life and into this world and bring his kingdom, a kingdom that comes in both word and deed. The birth of the church is the birth of a movement that is railing against the culture on every level. We're going to see a bunch of that even this morning. Railing against the culture to say it's neither this nor that. There's a better way forward. And I don't know about you, friends, but I'm hungry for a better way forward. I'm hungry for truth that sets us free. I'm hungry for a love that will not let me go. That, friends, if you can relate at all, is who Jesus is, and please hear me when I say, is why you're here. It's why you're here. Because God wants you to know that love, not just in your head, but in every ounce of your being. He wants you to know it and to live out of it. The goal, friends, of the entire movement of the kingdom is simply this, restoration of intimacy with God for the entire world. Yes, that includes forgiveness of sins because sin is what's standing in the way, but it's bigger than just forgiveness of sins. We were made to be in intimate communion with God in a world that wasn't broken, in a world where lions didn't eat people, 
where you could go swimming off the coast of Australia and great whites don't chew you up, right? It's, it's a world where you could take a step of, a, a risky step into relationship with someone and know you're never gonna get hurt because there's no relational breakdown. There's no addiction. There, there's no sin of any kind. There's no fear. There's no darkness. That's the world. We dream about that and we say, well, that's fairy tale stuff. What? Where do you think the fairy tales get it from? This is the book that they base all of their wildest dreams on. We were made for this. There's a reason why we love movies like that. And movies that don't end that way, we leave, we're just like, that's dark. I want those two hours back, right? Because we need redemption is the word. And redemption is the theme of the entire story. His story. History. You following? All right, last week we had Michelle come up here on Mother's Day and preach an awesome sermon on this very, it's a great picture, this very theme lived out of the intimate love of God pursuing his people where we slowed down and we looked at the cross and there we saw the heart of God on display and we were welcome to come at the foot of the cross and lay down everything that we were carrying, all of the burdens, all of the sorrows, and there we heard again freshly, the one who's suffering for our sin say to the one whose sin had nailed him to the cross, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Wow. Wow. To just taste a little bit of that kind of intimate love, that kind of knowing love that says, even when I'm suffering, I'm still actively loving you. I don't know about you guys, but that's when I struggle the most to actively love. When the very people that are the reason for my suffering are in front of me, it's very hard to actively love them. And yet, right there is one of the most glorious pictures of the gospel that gives us such hope. So this morning, we're going to keep leaning in here with this being our theme. The fruit of life comes only through the pain of death. We don't like this, but it's true. Two points, provision through pain and a better plan. First, the provision through pain um, comes through the, when we look at the planting season, recognize that if God was talking about stuff that was completely separate from nature, we'd have a hard, really hard time of believing that God's world works this way, right? It would be like God's just being mean to us, right? He's, he's pigeonholing us as humans because the rest of the world doesn't work this way. When God keeps making the same point over and over again, everything in the world works the same way. Right? So when you look at the seasons we're in, we just came through, we're kind of at the tail end of the planting season. I guess we're actually th through the planting season. Right, Winslow? Winslow, are you awake? Are you awake, Winslow? All right. So Winslow, Winslow loves to plant his garden, right, Winslow? When do you start planting your garden, Winslow? April. See, I'm clearly not a planter, right? But in April, you're doing all sorts of stuff that is full of pain, right? Consider the dirt. The dirt has just had a really long season of frosting and thawing and frosting and thawing and frosting and thawing. It's got stuff growing in it that it didn't necessarily want to have growing in it, but at least it's at peace. It's at rest. And then someone, the farmer, comes along with some sharp metal objects and starts digging its sharp metal objects into you and churning up the soil and ripping things out of you. If the soil could speak, what would it say? Ow! Ow! Ow, 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 why, ow, ow, what did I do to you? Go away, stop, right? The soil, but the soil doesn't speak, and I think I may have said this here once before, if it is speaking to you, we need to talk after the service. <laughs> Same thing with the seed, right? The seed is in a husk, and it's got a lot of stuff inside of it that has the potential for life and growth, but until the seed is actually put into the soil and buried and torn apart, Nothing grows out of it. Nature itself preaches the gospel. The provision of the fruit only comes through pain on every level. When we come to our passage for this morning, we see the same thing playing out because realize this. We are in Acts 16 
Acts 15 was a Jerusalem council. We took a couple weeks to look at that. But the chapter right before that is called Acts 14. You guys, is anyone awake right now? <laughs> Acts 14, right? I know my father-in-law isn't. I saw that look right there. Acts 14. What happens in Acts 14? Paul goes to Lystra. And what happens in Lystra? He gets stoned. They, they throw stones at him in order to kill him, and they only leave him. They drag him out of the city, and they think he's dead. By show of hands, how many of you would like to return to a city that stoned you recently? Right? What kind of loony business is this? Except for this principle. Except for this reality, that it's not Paul planting some seed outside of himself, but Paul saying this, God, if I'm the seed, I'm willing to be planted. God, whatever the cost, I will not give into fear because I know that you're the one who's called me to this. And just as a little bit of a hint, a precursor to where we're going, it's because Paul himself has already experienced that very same love. What's the fruit when Paul does this? I hope I hope you saw it when we read it, but I'm going to emphasize it here this morning. Paul gets a son. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen in the churches in Galatia. He doesn't know that it's going to multiply. He doesn't understand all the things that are going to come of it. The fact that we, 2,000 years later, are going to read his letters that he wrote to these churches, not thinking they were going to be scripture. He didn't know any of that. All he knew was God was calling him to this crazy road of suffering and sacrifice and that he was going to need help. And the very first thing God does is give him a son. In his later writings, he calls Timothy his son, my son in the faith. Timothy, my son. When he's writing to the church in Philippi, which, by the way, is called from the region of Macedonia, which is where he's about to go. When he writes to the church in Philippi, I'm so happy I get to send uh, Timothy to you because there's no one like Timothy. There's no one like Timothy who's loved me the way he's loved me and who's ready to love you the way you need to be loved. There's no one like Timothy. And right away, this should echo in our hearts to what we looked at last week. Right, Because you see it at the foot of the cross, Jesus making the same sort of connection between Mary and John. And I want you to realize it had to be John. Why did it have to be John? Jesus loved all the disciples, right? He loved all of them. Why did it have to be John? Because there's only one disciple that loved Jesus so much that he wouldn't even refer to himself by his name. He never wrote it in his gospel, never wrote about John, meaning himself. He used a phrase. Do you remember what it was? The disciple that Jesus loved. He was so enamored with the love of Jesus and his pursuit in his life, with the way Jesus met him, even when he was stuck in sin and Pride, the, thun the sons of thunder. He's one of the sons of thunder. He's one of the guys who thought he wanted to sit at Jesus' left or his right and with his brother and that they were going to reign. He got it wrong and Jesus continued to pursue him. He knew the love of Jesus and was passionate for that man in a way unlike the other disciples. He was humble and self-abasing not even referring to himself by name. And Jesus says this, John, I see myself in you. Now you get to care for my mother. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. There's no one like John. There's no one like Timothy. The fruit, friends, from the very beginning is worth it. It's worth it. But then we come to this really random circumcision. Now, random and circumcision are usually not words that go together in the same sentence. <laughs> I'm just going to admit that from the front end. 
And circumcision of grown men is usually not something that you want to be in the habit of doing, especially when there was no pain medication back in the day. What on earth is going on in our passage? It's like, here's Paul, here's Timothy, they're in, they're in, in, in Lystra, and they're doing the work of God, and then all of a sudden, let's get circumcised. What's going on? Well, I encourage you to realize it's the exact same principle we've been looking at. It's the exact same principle we've been looking at where Paul's saying, Lord, if my life is the seed, take what you will. I'm willing. And then the very first thing he does with Timothy is encourage him to do the same thing. Timothy, if your life is the seed, are you willing? Now, why circumcision? Well, we've been looking at that the last couple weeks where love removes stumbling blocks. Remember that line? Love removes stumbling blocks. Timothy did not have to get circumcised. In fact, the Jerusalem Council was all about the fact that you didn't have to follow Old Testament law in order to be a Christian. But if you remember in this passage, Timothy's father is a Greek. Timothy's mother is a Jew. And if they're gonna reach the Jews, it was gonna be a stumbling block for Timothy not to be circumcised. And so it wasn't a, you must do this. It's a, will you do this, Timothy? To remove this stumbling block so that the Jews to whom you are related can come to taste and see the goodness of our Jesus. And Timothy says, here I am, Lord. Circumcise me. Ouch. And yet, it does the very thing that it was supposed to do. Remember, in the Jerusalem Council, the thing that they did was the other end of it, right? He was talking to the Greeks there that are now Christian and saying, I want you to stop everything that would be associated with idol worship in the Greek pantheon, in the Roman pantheon. I want you to stop all of that. No more sacrificing to idols. No more, no more dealing with blood sacrifices like that. I want you to get rid of it. Why? Because that's a stumbling block. Not because you have to do that to be Christian, but because now that you're a Christian, you want to remove the things that are going to lure you in the other direction. So you see both sides of the coin here, not legalism, wisdom. Wisdom that says, hey, we're still human and we need to take this sin stuff very seriously. Hey, we're still human and the people we're trying to reach they need to see the sacrificial heart of Jesus if their hearts are going to be open. This, friends, is a crazy calling. Sacrificing for enemies and strangers is a dumb idea. I'll just say it out loud. It's a dumb idea. Unless you yourself understand and have tasted and seen what it means to be the enemy and the stranger. If your approach to life is, look at them, they don't deserve it, then you know what it's like to be the prophet Jonah. The prophet Jonah looked at the people of Nineveh, this great nation that has been oppressing the people of, of Israel for generations. They're a terrible, terrible nation. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach the gospel to them. And Jonah says, yes, God, but no. And he goes the exact opposite direction to Tarshish. And you remember what happens to Jonah? He gets thrown overboard on that ship into a storm and swallowed by a huge fish. And people are like, that's ridiculous. No one gets swallowed by a fish. I mean, that's not even naturally possible. Okay, say that again to the God who literally spoke everything into existence. What is impossible for him? Oh, that's right, nothing. Anyway, that's a sidebar. That was free, by the way. Um, but please don't miss this point. Jonah, what did he say to God again? No. So what did Jonah deserve when he was thrown overboard? Death. And it says that the fish holds Jonah for how long again, do you remember? Three days in the belly of a fish and then spits him back up, up, let me use a different word, resurrects Jonah's body onto dry land. 
You think there's something going on there? I think Jesus picks up on it in the Gospels, doesn't he? When he says, just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to spend three days in the belly of the earth. It's a picture of resurrection. Let me put it differently. What Jonah deserved in that moment was to stay dead, and God gave him the opposite. And you would think when Jonah was spat upon dry land that he would be like, all right, Bring, the, bring on the Ninevites. I get it now. But he's not. You know why? Because he's just like me. Because he's still convinced that they don't deserve it. He shouldn't have to suffer. And what if this goes wrong? So self-protect. It says he's sitting outside the city. It's super hot. He's really sweating. The sun is baking him. And God sends a plant to grow miraculously, quickly over his head to provide shade. And Jonah is finally like, all right, some shade. And then God sends a worm and it eats the plant. And Jonah's like, what the, you fill in the blank, God, right? What the heck is going on here? Where's my shade? Do you get it? Are you following? At every point, the big stuff and the little stuff, the fruit of Jonah's heart is being revealed. He thinks, he's self-righteous, right? That's the word. He thinks he deserves better than what he's getting. And the story of Jonah literally ends there. It's a cliffhanger. What happened with Jonah? We don't know. But I can guarantee you that the story of Jonah is actually an invitation for all of us to ask the same question in our hearts. Do we understand who we are? and what we deserve. As Christians, we've put our faith in a God who went into the belly of the earth and was resurrected in three days. And he said, if you put your faith in me, you are the one. You are already united to me in that. But you need to understand that that is what you deserved. You deserved to go to the cross, to go into the grave, and to not come back out again. And that sounds hard and maybe harsh, But just think about the stuff that your mistakes cause in the lives of other people and in your own life. When we fall into sin, do we create life or actually rob one another of it? And if we're robbing one another of it, are we actually those who don't need grace? Or do we desperately need it? We desperately need it, friends. Paul saw this in his own life firsthand. For, throughout his entire life, Paul was the one who, kept, who keeps calling himself, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the chief of sinners. Do you know why Paul said those things? Because Paul was a murderer. Because Paul stoned Stephen. Because Paul went around imprisoning Christians for their faith. Paul got it really wrong. And Jesus met him right there. Where Paul knew he should have stayed in the belly of the earth. And Jesus said, not on my watch. I've got plans for you, Paul. The world is going to see me by how much you suffer. What a calling, friends. What a heart. What a willing yes. It only happens when we remember where we came from, who we are, and why we need grace. Jesus said it like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. It has been abundantly clear all along what it looks like to follow our Lord Jesus. The question is, are we? Are we? Or maybe a more nuanced and specific question is, where are we not? Look at the fruit, both the bad fruit and the denial of the good fruit are the same sides, two sides of the same coin. What is your fruit telling you about the seeds that you're planting or not planting? 
Luke 6, Luke 6, 44 and 45, Jesus says it like this. A tree is known by its fruit, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And James puts it like this. The seed of self or desire yields sin and death. Those are just some references to look at and to maybe meditate on even throughout the week and to say, okay, what's going on in my life? Jesus says this many times over. I think he wants us to get it. Who are we? What's our starting point? And how do we continue to go from there? Second point, a better plan. Now, if you've been following along, you're probably feeling like a little churned up right now, a little bit like soil, right? That is maybe getting plowed, stuck, moved around. Please know that the one known as the great gardener is not messing with your heart to hurt you. He's digging up stuff so that life can come out of you, so that good fruit can be produced in you and through you. So where you're resisting, let me encourage you to turn your hand upside down and surrender because there's a better plan. Now, sometimes a better plan starts with a few no's. As we see in our passage, it says that that Paul and his crew, they're heading north, right? They started in Antioch and they're coming around the Mediterranean Sea into what is modern day Turkey. And they're coming this way and they're in Galatia, right? That region right here. And they want to go either north to Bithynia or southwest to uh, Asia. And God says no to both. And it's kind of like, okay, do you want us to go back? What's the deal? Are we supposed to keep going forward? And, And all of a sudden they get a vision. They get a vision that says, come to Macedonia, which means they're, they're coming around the Mediterranean Sea and they can't go north, they can't go southwest, they just need to go west. And going west is gonna take them to Macedonia, which is present day Greece. What I want you to hear in this is simply this. As they're looking to walk the path and they gave God their yes, both Paul and Timothy gave God their yes, here I am, whatever it costs, discernment is such a huge part of what it looks like to actually walk after him. They could have just said, we're in Galatia, Asia's right next door, let's go. But they listened. Now, how did they hear the voice of God? God forbade them from going to Asia. How did, they, how did God forbid them? Do we know? Text doesn't tell us. God could have spoken to them, could have given them a word that was then confirmed in another. Lots of ways God could have spoken, but the point is God did speak and they were listening. And then as they're listening, God confirms it with a vision. They see a man from Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia. So they know we're not going north, we're not going south, we're going west, go west. And here God has something for you. And so what do they do? They believe and they walk by faith. I love the story of Abraham because God, when he chooses his people from the very beginning, he says this, Abraham, get on your donkey and go. Go where, Lord? I'll show you. Just go. So often in our lives with the Lord, here's what we say. I'll go, Lord, as soon as you show me. And he says, no, you'll go and I'll show you while you're going. Friends, life doesn't work the other way. Sometimes God gives us a very clear, here's where you're going, a vision, go to Macedonia. Did they know what they were going to do in Macedonia? Did they know who they were going to meet in Macedonia? Did they know anything other than go to Macedonia? No. Lots of questions, and every decision is a decision of trust. You know why we don't trust the Lord? Because we look at the fruit of our lives, and we say, I see the bad stuff. I can't own that because that's going to be me. That's going to be my identity. If, if, I'm, if I'm not responsible for that, who is? Oh, that's right. You must be. You're responsible for my bad fruit. Or the other side, when all I see is the bad fruit, I don't see any good fruit. Why does the bad fruit always win? I've got no hope. Who's the only one who could give me hope? Oh, that's right, you. So it must be your fault again. 
Do you see how in this life, rather than walking by faith, so often we get stuck here and we build our ivory tower, not ivory tower, we build our our fortress. We build our fortress here so that we can be safe because we think we need to protect ourselves from the only one who can actually help us. You think that's not a trap devised by the enemy of our souls? Friends, where have you built a fortress thinking that you're safe inside? Because no one, not even him, not even he can come in. We're not safe there, friends. We're deceived. When we choose to follow God and give him our yes and tear down those walls, we learn to listen and he confirms. And when he confirms, awesome stuff happens, right? Because they arrive in Philippi and they meet this lady, Lydia. And I love what the the text says. It says they have a hunch that they're going to go down to the river. They have a hunch they're going to find some people praying. That's another discernment word, right? They don't know for sure, but they have a, a feeling. Like, I think God wants us to go down to the river and pray. Yeah, all right, let's go down to the river and pray. And there they find Lydia. And Lydia, we find out, is a worshiper of God, which means she is, it's a different way of saying she's not Jewish, but she follows the God, Yahweh. She worships Yahweh. She's a seller of purple goods, which is coming from the matter root, which right away is giving us hints that there's more going on here. What's more going on here? Well, simply this, that as God opens her heart and her whole family believes and the church is started in her home, God not only plants a seed in Philippi and Macedonia, but also plants a seed in Asia. Because where is Lydia from? Thyatira. Where is Thyatira located? Asia. And so when God said, let me sum it up for you this way. When God said no to, his, to Paul and Timothy, you may not go to Asia, was God saying no? no? He was saying, not yet, I have a better plan. Not yet, I have a better plan. Which is precisely the way God regularly uh, leads us in this life. Every time we're praying gospel prayers, God, let this happen. God, please hear our prayer. God, please bring life out of death. God's answer in the moment might seem like no, but it's always not yet. There's a different way forward. Let me explain. Gethsemane or garden tomb? Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he cries out, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to suffer. There must be a better way. I don't want to be separate from you. I don't want to die. This is really, really hard. If there's another way, take it from me. And God says, no. But he really says, not yet. Because the path through the cross, while not something that any of us would ever want, was the path to the very thing that Jesus was praying. I don't ever want to be separate from you. I don't want to experience this pain. I want there to be a better way. And God says, I got you. Here it is. Trust me. Good Sam or good news? We prayed for George, one of our elders here, who's in Good Sam for three weeks in the ICU. We asked for God to give him years of life. And God gave him weeks of life. We asked for God to heal his body, to get him up so that he could walk and we can celebrate together and there could be so much joy. And God said no. But what he really said was, not yet. Because he was going to answer the prayer that George was praying, remember? Lord, I have so many people in my life that I want to hear the good news of the gospel. I've been praying for them for years. We had about 600 people walk through our church during the calling hours. We had about 300 people in our church for his service. We had about 1,000 people online watching. Do you think God answered George's prayer? I'm going to bring good news. And don't miss the point, friends. The day is coming when George is going to walk with us and jump for joy with us and hug us again and celebrate life with us again. It's not a no. It's a not yet. Fully healed or wounded healer. How many of you have prayed for for healing in your body and received some but not all? How many of you received none? Come on, let me see your hands. 
I want you to know this. Our God is in the business of using wounded healers to bring his healing in the lives of other people. So if every time we prayed for healing, God said, yes, you're healed. Yes, you're healed. Yes, you're healed. You know what we'd never be hungry for? Heaven. We'd never be hungry for a world that doesn't need healing. We'd never be hungry for what God says is coming. God wants us to remain hungry for that because here's how heaven comes. God sends out his wounded warriors to spread the good news of the gospel to every language and tribe, every person on the planet. And when that day comes, Jesus comes with it. When the gospel goes out to all the nations, Jesus comes back. Do you want little moments of healing here that just keep invading our world? Or do you want a better world that comes quickly with Jesus and every loved one we've lost who's up there with him? Which do you want? I want the not yet. I want heaven. I'm willing to walk with a limp so that others can come to know the one who heals all of our affliction. Amen? Comfortably in control or desperately dependent. Man, we don't like this one. I'll just say this, friends. These are the ones that we struggle with in the big stuff. This is the one we struggle with every day. I want to be in control because I want to be comfortable. And I'll just say the same thing we just shared. When we're in control, you know the one thing we're not? We're not in control, but we're also not comfortable. It's a trap. It's a trap because when you feel like you're in control and things aren't working the way you want to, <laughs> and you're like, I need to get more control. That's the only answer. And then things still don't work. And what do you need more of? Control. And then it doesn't work. And what do you need more of? Control. You spend your whole life chasing after more control. And guess what? You'll never have all of the control. So you'll never actually have comfort when you believe that lie. When the truth is what Jesus said. The one who chooses to lay down their life, even their comfort, every day, that's the one who will find life and comfort. You remember the name that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit that he says is good for him to go to heaven, Jesus, so they can send the comforter. Come on, friends. The one who sits enthroned is the only one who can bring comfort. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Can you just soak in that for a second? As much as we want there to be another way, as much as we rail against it, our God is loving us to tell us that this is the only way forward. Where are you still fighting? Believing the lie that when you win, if you save yourself, that's where you're going to be safe and comfortable and alive when the truth is you will only ever be safe and comfortable and alive by laying down what you think you need to hold on to. Where is that at work in your life, friends? Because when you answer that question, what you're going to find it's fruit that takes your breath away. When you start to invest the seed of your own life, when you say, yes, I will lay down my life for the sake of others, even strangers, even enemies, the world around you changes and heaven changes. There's a movie out there called The Apostle Paul. That's where this picture comes from. And this is Paul at the end of his life. And I love this part in the movie. I'm not a huge fan of the movie, just a disclaimer. 
they do a whole little segment they don't need to do because it's not biblical and we can have that conversation another time. But the end of the movie I love because at the end of the movie it shows Paul entering into heaven and seeing his fruit. And I want you to know that the first thing Paul sees is the grace of God because there's James waiting for him. There's the families that he imprisoned and killed waiting for him. But there are all the martyrs who went before him that Paul got to invest his life in and share the gospel of Jesus with waiting for him. Paul wrote to the church, he said, when I get to heaven, I know there's going to be a crown of glory for me. You know who's going to be my crown of glory? You are. This is the fruit that we invest in, friends. It's not stuff. It's not status. It's people. It's the only thing that we get to take with us, one another. And I remember us talking after George's funeral when we had, like I said, probably 600 plus people, a huge line out of this place that for hours and hours and hours, my foot is still injured from standing for so long, actually. That's not even a joke. But there's so many people. And then we thought, we had this thought. Could you imagine the line waiting for George when he had this experience? All of the people that he shared the gospel with, how many parents and grandparents in his practice did we hear the story of over and over and over again of he took care of my parents and their parents and now my kids and their grandkids, generations of impact because one man chose to lay down his life and in word and deed share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This past week, another mentor of mine went home. Dr. Tim Keller. I studied under him as a fellow at Redeemer. His wisdom, his heart, his humility has literally changed the landscape of Christendom in the 21st century. He is and was our modern-day C.S. Lewis. Pastors, church denominations, church movements all look to Keller and say, without Dr. Keller, we wouldn't be here. The celebration in heaven, the line waiting for Tim Keller, the glory that he's experienced in this moment he and George are going to be battling out for who has more people waiting for him. Right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The question for us to wrestle with, friends, is what is this moment going to look like for you? What seeds are you planting? Because you thought I was joking before at the intro when I talked about the seeds that grow sons, but I wasn't. What seeds are you planting to grow your sons and your daughters and your brothers and sisters? What's the glory that you're, you're going to see when you see Jesus face to face? How are you sacrificing your life even today so that your moment is truly glorious? The only way, friends, that you're going to be giving your willing yes is when you go back and remember who you were without his willing yes, without his pursuit, without his love, without Jesus saying, no matter the cost, I'm coming for you. 
taste that freshly today, friends. And then let him speak to you about the people in your world right now that he's asking you to lay down your life for. Give him your yes. And watch the fruit that comes out of it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your love for us knows no end. That you're the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And that every one of us in here who knows you has been that one. That you're not turned off by the fact that we wander and we continue to wander and we do things that sheep do. That you're not even turned off by the fact that it's our sin that nailed you to the cross. That you don't let any of those things be a cause for offense. But you call them what they are. The very reasons why we need you. The very reason why we need grace. And God, we thank you today for the powerful testimony of St. Paul who went back to the place where he was stoned. And you met him there. A place of great loss and fear and pain. You gave him a son. We pray for spiritual sons and daughters that all souls would be a church, Lord, of spiritual sons and daughters, spiritual mothers and fathers, that you would continue, Lord, to pour out this spirit of adoption, that we would be a family, Lord, that we would walk in that truth, and that we would give you our willing yes, believing that every no is a not yet, and that your plan is better, Lord. Your plan is better. You are gonna reach the nations. You are going to use us, even in and through sacrifice. Father, thank you for those who've gone before us, like Paul and Timothy, like Tim Keller, like George. Would you give us the grace today, Lord, to follow their example, to learn from their lives, to walk in their same spirit that they walked in, and to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we're hungry for heaven. We're hungry for heaven. We thank you that that day is coming. Would you sustain us until it does? And would you use us, use us, Lord, to share that love with one another, even those who are acting like our enemies, because we only have one. And he's a liar. Even those, Lord, that we don't know, those we think aren't worth it. God, use us even today. We invite you in. Have your way. In Jesus' name.